and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast. Abiding Together is a place where you can find connection, rest, and encouragement on your journey with Jesus Christ. My name is Sister Miriam James Heidland, and every week I am joined by two of my dearest friends, Michelle Benzinger and Heather Kim. This podcast is born out of our friendship of sharing all kinds of things together, our walk with Christ, our insights, our joys, sorrows, tears, and laughter, and you are most welcome on the journey with us. If you're looking for a place to belong, grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and welcome home. If our podcast has blessed you, would you please consider financially supporting Abiding Together via Patreon? Patreon is a website where people can make donations to help keep the podcast going. And now that we at Abiding Together have an independent platform, we have a number of costs that go into creating the podcast and the high-quality content we offer, such as our website, design, tech support, staff, and other elements. Having an independent platform also allows us to explore and create new content for all of our listeners to enjoy, so thank you so much to all of you who are already donors. When you donate through our page on Patreon, you are able to donate any amount, $1 a month, $5 a month, $500 a month, or just a one-time offering. Abiding Together is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, and donations are tax-deductible. So would you please prayerfully consider giving to Abiding Together? If you donate $15 or more per month, you become a tribe member and you will receive a short individual video from Michelle, Heather, and I each month about a variety of topics. You can see all of the information on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash abiding together podcast. So consider becoming a supporting member today and help us further the work of the Holy Spirit moving in and through this community. Together, we can do amazing things. We are so grateful for your support, and may God bless you. Hello, and welcome to the Abiding Together podcast, and we are delighted to be with you here today. It is the middle of October, and it's hard to believe, and today we're going to talk about something incredibly beautiful. We have an amazing guest for you, absolutely wonderful person, and the quote we're going to talk about today is actually from uh, a, an amazing woman named Mother Mary Frances, um, and she you might have heard me talk about her before. She has a beautiful book on Advent. We've talked about that, but she has incredible works to religious sisters, and she has a keen insight into the heart of what it means to be a woman, and I love this quote from her, which is going to guide our whole conversation today when she says, there is nothing a woman cannot do when she knows that she is perfectly understood at all times and that she is loved. So with that to open up our conversation, Michelle, is it still melting? Are you still melting in the middle of October? I just want to check on you real quick. Are you okay? No, it's 90 degrees. So yes, Tori, we are talking about the weather. I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you give her a shout out. I love it. I love it. I love it. We are. We are just becoming old women and we are talking about the weather. It's all we care I'm about. melting. It's really, it really is. Um, next yeah, thing we're going to be talking about digestion. I think that's okay. Next. <laughs> I draw the line right there, ladies. Draw that line like in the sand. But I have to tell you, I've been out at the beach all week this week, uh, do, leading a retreat, and the sunsets in the fall at the beach. I'll send y'all a couple of pictures. I mean, breathtaking. Like God, just a magnificent artist, just amazing. So I will take the hot weather when I have the beach near it. So Heather, how are you? 
Um, well, currently my house is in total disarray. We're getting ready to put our house in the market. So it's been getting painted inside and the floors are redone. So needless to say, five people and two dogs have been in one bedroom for way too long. And really the only solace is when I get to go to the bathroom. Sorry to say, but that's, I have never looked, I have never looked forward to going to the bathroom more ever in my life. There's your digestive issues, baby. Um, just keeping it real, y'all. This is how we do. Keeping this is how it we do. real. Well, you know, our listeners are in the same boat. Like there are people who are locked in their houses or wherever they are in strange situations going, am I the only person that lives such a weird life? No, friends, you are not. How are you, sister? I'm doing well. I have been in Milwaukee for the last week doing a ton of really amazing events with one of my dearest friends who happens to be our guest on the show today. And it is fall here, and I've been driving with the window down in my head, hanging out like a dog. But that's not what's most important. So I want to introduce to you, and you may have heard his name before, uh, one of my very dearest friends, Father John Burns, who is a priest for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Um, you might have heard his name when we talked about the episode on forgiveness last season. And Father John is a doctorate in moral theology, and his topic is on forgiveness and mercy. But the deepest love of his life is actually the heart of a, a woman and the religious sisters. And so we invited him on today to talk about a lot of things, and you're going to love him. So we just want to first of all welcome you, Father John, to our show. Hey, <clears throat> happy to be with you. This is a, a great gift, and I'm kind of laughing about the fact that we opened by talking about the bathroom. So, <laughs> so, that's kind of like a guy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the women's podcast. <laughs> no, so glad to be with you all. This is, this is just a real gift, a blessing. So Father John, like we're just meeting for the first time and really... The question that's burning on my mind is, how do you take your coffee? I think our listeners also want to know. Always black. French roast. Really? Tall. No cream, no sugar. That is tough. Black coffee. So good. Yeah, I just drained my cup here. Unfortunately, I didn't fill it up high enough to anticipate the needs of spending time with heavy coffee drinkers here on the podcast. I forgot about that. <laughs> we didn't. Well, we didn't, welcome. Yeah, we didn't feel yeah, like we were no, I wasn't adequately warned in advance of the show. <laughs> Well, Father, we just want to give our listeners a chance to meet you and just if you want to share with everybody just a little bit about yourself and then just how you came upon this call, a deep call to renew religious life and your heart for the Bride of Christ. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, pre a diocesan priest uh, of Milwaukee here. I've been ordained almost 10 years. And really since before ordination, the Lord has been putting religious sisters in front of me in a host of different ways. And um, over time has really just kind of deeply convinced me of the really essential importance of all the states in life in the church, and that if, if they're not all healthy and well, then the church is, is not well. There's a certain sickness. And marriage has received uh, a lot of attention because it needs it, because marriage is so uh, challenging on so many different levels and is around us everywhere. Priesthood's been in the spotlight a lot, positively and especially negatively lately. And we've seen that when the priesthood is sick, uh, the church is very, very sick. But we don't often notice that another part to that whole picture is religious life and women's religious life in a manner that's really complementary of the priest's duty. There are different um, responsibilities toward the church, but when, when there's not a strong presence of consecrated religious women in a diocese or a place, something's missing. And the Lord has kind of just been convicting me of that, uh, both through study and through pastoral experience, that, that we, need, we need a renewal in the church. And I'm just totally convinced that the renewal of the church is tied to the renewal of women's religious life, that the church is going to stay somewhat unwell or sick even as long as we don't have a good, healthy presence of consecrated religious women, because they show to us something that nobody else can. Like as a priest, I can talk about 
the bride and the church as the bride and uh, Our Lady in beautiful ways and often very theological and theoretical ways. But a woman who's consecrated can show me and the church and the world something that only she can. And when that's not there, we're all just left to sort of try to imagine or, or discern and then just be theoretical. Mm-hmm. So we're sick until we have uh, a healthy, healthy presence of consecrated religious women in all of our dioceses, I think, unto the ends of the earth. And that's just been something the Lord's really placed deeply on my heart to pour myself into is helping to, to raise up vocations and helping to renew um, the heart of the bride. Michelle, I know this is part of your heart as well because, well, both of you, I mean, you know, here we are on a podcast that really ministers to a lot of women and we speak at a lot of women's conferences, but um, Michelle, you want to talk a bit about just your own heart for the bride and for women and how you see as well the the renewal of religious life and just the restoration of the church in general? It's interesting because just to give a little disclosure about when we're recording this, we are recording this on October 4th, St. Francis of Assisi's feast day today. So the whole mantra of St. Francis that the Lord spoke to him is go and rebuild my church, which is actually, I did not realize this till Annie said to me today, she said, you know, this is the day that we launched the doctor series a year ago today. And we literally picked this date because that is when, um, when the Pope's made St. Teresa of Avila and St. Catherine of Siena doctors of the church on St. Francis's feast day, which the Lord does nothing by accident. It is like divine appointments that he chose these two women to rebuild the church, be it an integral part to rebuild the church, a lay woman and a religious sister to rebuild the church. And I think, and I've said it a couple of times on this podcast and a couple of times when I've spoken, you know, men prepare for war, but women prepare for weddings. And there's something about the renewal of women, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to um, really become in, in the fullness of their womanhood and really become bride, whether it's a religious sister or single or married, we're all called to be brides. But the religious sisters have a special point because they are almost like signposts, lampposts, like lighthouses, like reflecting the bridegroom saying, come closer. Like there is a light. This is the way home. This is what it's going to look like. Really preparing us for the wedding feast. And it was just interesting. I had a great conversation last night with a woman that was helping me lead a retreat and she's a deep prayer and two of her closest friends are religious sisters. And we were just talking about that need to um, help women learn to um, pray, but help women learn that the um, bridegroom is desiring them, you know, that his desire is for us. And when women live that way, then men rise up to the occasion. There is something about us, like, you know, John Paul II says, women help men be human. Like they teach men how to be human. But it's almost like I even referenced when we were talking about podcast notes at the end of Vatican II, they were talking about, Pope Paul VI was talking about, it inspires men to be warriors. You know, when women live into their bridledness, as you would say, and it rises something in it. And I just get the image like of a brave heart, you know, at the beginning of the movie and how he is with his wife. Like there's something about that relationship I, I just love. Like it's such a beautiful foreshadowing of think of the bridegroom and his bride. Like he will fight, he will die, he will sacrifice for the rising of that. So yeah. Heather, mm. what are your thoughts? I think it's such an incredibly beautiful topic and one that I am still 
discovering and uncovering myself, the beauty of it, because I didn't grow up in a diocese that had a lot of religious sisters. So my experience with religious sisters growing up in the whole beginning part of my faith and formation, there just wasn't religious sisters around. So I didn't have um, not just the experience of being around sisters, but the example, the model, and then the understanding. I wasn't living life with sisters. It wasn't really until I went to Franciscan University and had religious sisters in my classes with me. And then we, we started to become friends with different religious communities that 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 understanding and really love um, for religious life began to grow in me and and obviously relationship with sister Miriam has been so incredibly beautiful but yeah but what what uh, what that calling is meant to teach us and show us I don't think is usually very visible to people and that's why I love that we're talking about this today you know there might be some people be like well you know I'm not a religious sister this topic isn't for me this this really is for all of us and our understanding of how God is calling you know different people to live out their vocations to show who he is and to be a sign of something to the world is incredibly important for us to understand and it's it's so beautiful and rich in our faith so I love that we're talking about this today and father in particular I'd love to know like how did you become so passionate about this because it does seem unusual. You know, it's not something that we talk about very often or that I hear about very often. Um, but you actually have a passion for this. I'd love to just hear about that. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. My heart's a mystery, you know, even to me. And it, I really, I hold this as like the deepest, the deepest desire of my own heart to, to renew um, the presence of the bride in the church, the visible presence of the bride, the consecrated bride, a number of ways that that kind of came about. The first I remember as a young seminarian being in, uh, I studied in Rome and I helped out at the soup kitchen of Mother Teresa's sisters just near our seminary. And they had a superior there who was just an excellent woman, an excellent religious woman. And uh, she was a, such a mother. And I remember just kind of sitting in the soup kitchen in the, you know, around the table and just watching her move around the room. It was a soup kitchen for men and watching her move around the room and just really command the room and, and call the men out. Uh, and invite them to be better, both the, the men at the soup kitchen and the seminarians who were there with us serving, <laughs> inviting us to be better. And like that would be sometimes scolding a man who was misbehaving, but also like calling guys out for being too concerned for their appearance as seminarians. Like she'd call a guy if he's wearing too much cologne or ask him like, you know, what exactly are you after here as you're on your way to the priesthood? And I just saw a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it was, she was mothering. And I remember just being kind of like put off kilter and then awed by it because I thought I've never really seen a woman mother that way. And then it was just after that on a trip to um, the March for Life out in D.C., seeing the Sisters of Life there um, in, in a number of settings, in large groups, just noticing how they interacted and noticing how people were drawn to them and then interacting with them myself. I realized these were the most feminine, authentically feminine and confident women that I'd ever been around. At that point, I'd had a lot of broken relationships in college and um, you know, I had a kind of a strange idea of femininity or, or a wounded idea. And I saw that redeemed in them. And I saw a woman confident in her calling, claimed by Christ and fully alive. And I just was like, man, we, if we don't see that, we're missing something of the whole picture of how God wants the church to be well. And I just, I was captivated by it then. And ever since then, I've watched for it and noticed. Um, and if, as you're naming there, Heather, when we're not around it, we don't know it's not there. But when we're around it and it's beautiful, you just notice it's opening eyes, it's opening hearts, it's awakening the church to something 
that we, we have to know about and we have to care about, which is the well-being and the health of the bride, because that's who the church is. So I just see, I don't think it's, uh, I don't argue that it's the number one thing we all have to be worried about is the renewal of women's religious life. But it is the thing the Lord has put on my heart uh, as my sort of my passionate contribution to the way that in this age, the church is to be renewed by all of us pouring into different apostles and ministries. To my mind, and with the shape of my own passion and an apostolate, this is the most important thing. And it's just because I've seen religious women be mothers, uh, be sisters, and be women all claimed for Christ in a way that I've never found anywhere else. And that just wakes something up in all of us. Yeah, and I would love to hear you talk about the beauty more because I think for most people, the extent of our experience of religious sisters is what we see in movies, <laughs> which is like, you know, with the ruler and often like very cruel or or for some people that's their legitimate experience, you know, like growing up in Catholic schools and and their experience may have been harshness or something that isn't really representative of the calling and what, what God's plan is. But sister, remember when you came to Vancouver, we were walking down the street, we were like on our way to get caramel apples or something in the middle of downtown. And, uh, and um, there was like people were watching you like you had just walked off a movie. They couldn't believe it. Like their jaws literally dropped open. Like they've never seen a real religious sister in their entire life. I mean, there was nothing subtle about it. They were like following you the whole way around with their eyes. Um, and I think just people's lack of experience, they don't understand or know what what the lived reality is. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about your experience, Father John, with with that. And then also you, Sister. Well, I think what you're naming there is um, the fact that this awakens something in everyone, even if you're not a believer, uh, because the church the church is the bride of Christ. We know from all the scriptures, right? And and the church is for all nations. It's for every person to, through the church, every person is meant to know the heart of God for them, um, sacramentally, especially into the proclamation of the word. And so the church, as the bride of Christ, that's a kind of a mysterious uh, image from the scriptures. But because the religious woman is also a bride of Christ. She personifies the church and in a way gives a face to this mysterious and hard to kind of grasp reality, this mystical reality of the bride of Christ. And so wherever she goes, this is why it's important that religious women be visible as well, because wherever she goes, she is um, incarnating and personifying something that is for all the nations, that even if you don't know God or believe in God, the church is for you and the Lord through the church desires to bring you to himself. And so as he invites a woman to himself and blesses her by the gift of consecration and then sends her out, um, he, he's, he's like placing his bride before the world for all to see because he wants them to understand the beautiful desire of his own heart that, uh, that love would be known and it would be incarnate and personified in a way that she manifests the, the complement to Jesus Christ, who is the divine bridegroom, who is the head of his church. So it, it just the, the beauty is that um, the religious woman as I said before, awakens something in the heart of anybody who sees her mm -hmm. because everybody is designed by God for God and, and the church mm -hmm. is for them and that's meant to be their way into the embrace of the Father. And so it's a very evangelical aspect of religious life that mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where these people are coming from faith-wise. When, when you walk down the street, sister, they're interested in looking at you, one, because yeah, you don't see that outfit very often, you know, nowadays in the streets. But two, I argue, it's it's shaking something in their bones mm -hmm. that is a deep invitation to God. And, and she is personifying the way that God wants to um, espouse 
the church to himself. <laughs> uh, and that's a deeply biblical reality. It's carried through all the prophets into the New Testament and is now embodied and personified in consecrated religious life. And so it just wakes us up. Well, there's many things happening there. I think um, it's an es- we call it eschatological sign. That's what you're hearing. It's a sign of heaven. And so religious sister begins to live now in a very particular way, in a vowed way, what all of us will live in heaven. Forever, when God is all, all in all, and and everything exists in Him, and we and we exist in Him, and I think that, and even for myself, when I'm with other religious sisters, I find myself looking at them at times and just being like, "You're just so beautiful." <laughs> like, there's something so. And we were Father John and I have been at some high schools this week, and so he's been talking to the guys, and I've been talking to the ladies, and. And just we were talking later on about the questions they ask us because you know, the priesthood and religious life is very mysterious for a lot of people, and people ask all sorts of wonderful and awkward questions, you know, like you know, <laughs> and um, it's just funny. You know, we talk about that, so it's such a mystery. It is such a mystery, and, and we both have stories of just being in airports or being in, in restaurants, and people just come up and just bear their souls, and they they entrust their hearts to you. And I think, I guess, one of the things I'm most captivated about being a woman is. Well, first of all, first and foremost is being married to Christ. Like that's the heart of, of how God called me. It's the heart of what I am. Like I, it's it's the whole thing of who I am. But also just the healing power of beauty. And there's a particular um, way a woman's heart heals. Her beauty heals. Her beauty is an invitation to heaven. And so her beauty, a body, mind, and soul, is actually a healing presence upon the hearts of many, upon upon the hearts of all. And I think, especially as a woman who's a religious sister, there's it's magnified because it's also a foretaste of, of heaven that brings somebody into the presence of God, where they know that they're loved and that they're cared for, and that she's going to bless you and she's going to be a safe place and a refuge for you. So I'm just captivated by that continually about the power of beauty and how the beauty heals us, right, and, and ushers us into the presence of God. So. Um, yeah, just in my journey is just hearing a lot of stories from people, but hearing a lot of stories from religious sisters and also being a religious sister for so many years now and seeing both the crisis in the areas that, um, that need restoration, but also her profound impact upon society and just what God is calling her to. Um, it truly is for a time such as this. It truly is. And I think there's something beautiful when um, Father John and I were doing a retreat in Nashville together for Blessed Is She, and they had the Nashville Dominicans there, and Sister Mary Rachel was there with us. And it was powerful, but something about having those Nashville Dominicans and their white being around us, being there, it was such, like I said, a foreshadowing of the bride. But there was a moment right before I was about to get on stage to speak, and Father John was praying over me, and he grabbed Beth a good friend of ours, a lay person, and then Sister Mary Rachel, the Nashville Dominican. And so the two women were on the side on either side of me and Father John was praying, you know, over me, had his hand on my head, blessing me. And it was so funny. Sister Mary Rachel to the left of me was like holding me like while he was praying and she had her arm underneath me. It, it was such a powerful moment. One, I think Father John is a really good prayer. There was that. But the other moment was it felt like complete. It felt like I was telling him, it felt like family. It felt very Trinitarian. It felt like all the parts were um, represented there. And it felt like a complete picture. You know, there was a married woman, there was a single woman, there was a religious sister, there was a priest. It felt very complete of like the Lord's, like this is Trinitarian love. This is relationship. This is what the church should look like. All the pieces coming together, trying to be restored, you know. So it was just a really beautiful thing. And I think that that touches on um, even another biblical reality, like in the letter to the Ephesians chapter five, Paul talks, he's he's trying, he's rooting back to Genesis and he's trying to explain the relationship of man and woman and how they come together and and their relationships and roles. 
And then he kind of just concludes, he says, but in the end, this is just a great mystery and I'm applying it to Christ in the church or I'm drawing mm-hmm. from the union of Christ and the bride. And that the fact is that all of these states in life are connected, that the mystery of marriage is anchored deeply in the mystery of Christ and his church. And, and that mystery, uh, priests are invited into conformity to Christ to represent for the world Jesus Christ. Uh, the woman, the religious woman, is, is anchored in the mystery of Christ, or of, of the bride, the church. And so when you have that situation you just described vividly there, Michelle, um, that's, that's the ideal that like um, on both sides, so to speak, or as it were, serving you um, as the church, as a member of the body of Christ, you have uh, the personified bride and the priest standing um, in the person of Christ in moments of sacraments and ideally representing him well at all times, that the blessing you feel there is is really like the heart of, of the church, of, of a member of the body of Christ, acknowledging the gift of what it is to be uh, in the presence of the full picture of how God designed all of this to reach its apex, that we just need, we need the bride and we need the divine bridegroom, Christ, present, especially in the priest. And when that's there, we're all safe, we're comfortable, and we can just lean into the apostolate or the ministry, the proclamation we're called to make because we realize um, God, God is active here and he's showing himself uh, in, in manifold ways, uh, but in such a way that convinces us that he, he has this, that he's in charge um, and that he's drawing the world to himself through the church. Mm. Okay, so what do you think, how do you begin to restore the religious sisters in the church? Like, where would you begin, Father John? Well, you know, as we were sharing a minute ago, I was thinking about um, a lot of the things the sister and I were saying in the high schools too. The uh, the question that a lot of people, the approach that a lot of people have sometimes to priesthood and religious life is that like you, you take these promises or these vows and you leave behind a lot to, to be faithful to God. And sometimes we used to approach that as like all these negations. And so you kind of left behind really the, the authentic and deep heart of the person, which is uh, profoundly masculine or profoundly feminine. Uh, the heart can't be changed. You know, the, the soul is enfleshed in the body and they inform one another. The heart, the soul is masculine or, or is feminine. And so we had this idea that you just kind of take on these duties and you become something else and you leave behind some of the aspects of your masculinity as a priest and some of the aspects of your femininity as a religious woman. But that's really a lie. It's not faithful to who we are and it's not faithful to who God calls us to be because God invites the priest or the sister um, to, to offer to him all that is theirs and to invite him to consecrate it and then break it open and offer it to the whole world and to, to send it out upon the earth um, as fathers and as mothers, as brothers and as sisters. And so I think a, a part of the renewal, and we're seeing it on both sides, priests and sisters, is leaning back into what does it mean, and to your specific question, what does it mean for a woman to be a woman? What are the aspects of authentic femininity? What is the feminine genius? And then what does it look like to, to carry the natural desires and the natural orientation of her heart to another, uh, to family, to, uh, to restoration, to generativity? What does it look like to carry that into a relationship with God that is then consecrated and opened for the world? And so a lot of it is going to be reclaiming the beauty of femininity, which is something that Mother Mary Frances, who we started with, talks about a lot. She says, a woman who's not a, a good at being a woman will never be good at being a religious sister. You first have to be uh, profoundly aware of your, your, your womanhood, your femininity, and what makes for an excellent woman in order to enter into becoming an excellent a woman for Christ, a bride of Christ. So the, the key to the renewal is going to be helping uh, young women 
to not be afraid of what it is to be a woman, and that as the Lord has called them to himself, to not be afraid of the fact that he invites that maternal desire and that generativity and that nurturing spirit, he wants to embrace all of that and bring that up into the gift of the consecration and then teach her in a profound way what that is to, to offer that to the world. You know, spiritual motherhood, spiritual fatherhood, these aren't just like cute ideas that we toss around in seminary to make ourselves feel better about celibacy. <laughs> these are very, very real things, mm-hmm. and they're anchored in a profound uh, theology uh, and, a, and a philosophy and anthropology that when we get back into that, it's very liberating. Uh, it breaks apart old, uh, faulty ideas of what celibacy is, and it opens the person to to be fully alive in the embrace of God and to really celebrate what consecration does, which sets us apart for sacred purposes. And God's purposes are for the reclaiming uh, of, of the entire earth, all of creation for the kingdom. So it's it's going to be leaning back into what it is to be a woman and then what it is to be a woman offered to and received by Jesus Christ and then consecrated and mm. sent out. Wow. Sister, I'd love to hear what you think about what Father John. Oh, I think said. it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, he and I have had many con- and amen, amen and amen. We've had many, many, many conversations about this very thing because what Father John's heart is for a religious life is my heart for the priesthood. So it's very interesting of like that the reciprocity of desiring to see the renewal of authentic masculinity and authentic femininity and that call lived out in spiritual fatherhood and spiritual motherhood and that that is the key. That I mean, to me, that's ground zero of restoration of the church. If the mother and the father are sick, the church is going to be sick. And so um, that is our heart and, and the reciprocal vocation. And I, I, that's, it's so true. Like you look at what's happening in society today and just the heart of women and just, um, you know, for a time such as this, that the Holy Spirit, you know, we talk about that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind and bringing to birth, you know, this reality of, of restoration of the, of the feminine heart, of the body, of, of who she is. And um, my spiritual director and I were just talking about this um, not too long ago, and he was saying that, you know, in the presence of redeemed femininity, masculinity is brilliant. And in the presence of redeemed masculinity, femininity is brilliant and radiant. And so it's the mutual reciprocity. So we as women, it's not a matter of like, you know, we were just talking about theology of the body to the teens. Like, it's not a matter of, you know, um, you know, will I have, will I allow God to redeem my masculinity or femininity? Well, if, if I don't, it's not a big deal. You know, John Paul II, this is a very consolidated quote from him, but you know, all of history depends on who man will be for woman and who woman will be for man. So this reality, whether whatever vocation we're called, however we're called to live that love out, the foundation of allowing Christ to come and restore us and bring us to new life in these areas is paramount for um, the rest of the world. It affects everybody. And so it's, it's necessary. And I, I love um, what Father John is bringing to the church and this charism that he has and the restoration. And he does a lot of uh, retreats with sisters, with missions of charity and the Sisters of Life. And just he's in Milwaukee now, given his blessing by the Archbishop to um, to begin to work in these areas of the renewal of religious life. And the women are coming; like it's amazing. Like you have what first Saturday events for women discerning religious life, and it's like there are fifty women coming. Like it's incredible, you know. Yeah. What God is doing. So, yeah. I think yeah, what you just named there, sister, mm-hmm. is something that I would love to see the whole church take seriously, which is um, there are there are women discerning. Or there, there, there are things happening in the hearts of young women mm-hmm. that are very profound, and they're clearly from Christ. But without uh, religious women around, they don't always know exactly what to do about that, mm-hmm. and, and they don't know what's happening. And uh, so they just just think it's happening in their prayer that they have to keep praying, and, and they kind of get confused a little bit. Mm-hmm. The archbishop's given me this assignment half half time to work with uh, the renewal of women's religious life, 
And the number of women, I've, three times more women are reaching out than men. I'm working on the other side with, with priests as well. And, and it's because there's never been a resource for them to help them mm-hmm. uh, ask the deeper questions about whether or not what's happening within them is, is very specific and whether God's inviting them to, to consider a way that maybe they didn't expect. They didn't expect it, as you were sharing before, Heather, because maybe they haven't seen it or maybe they didn't know it was a possibility. Maybe they don't know uh, that God does still call women to give their entire lives to him in a consecrated way. And we used to have sisters taking care of that in every diocese. We don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And so well, who's taking care of, of the, the next round of young women who are, are called to the Lord in this most beautiful way? And as dioceses, we have to be, that's our, that's our charge, to care for the souls within our territories. And if the sisters are unable to do it, then it falls to the bishop and the priest to say, well, who is taking care of it? It doesn't have to be us as priests, but it can be. But someone, it's, it's the duty of the whole church to be concerned for this question. And if we aren't concerned for it, as I said before, we're always going to sort of uh, be, be limping along, uh, partly awake and partly asleep. I would love just in general for there to be a lot more discussion in the church about what vocation really means and about what God is calling us to, because I think... You know, there's you know, there's people who feel called to be married, but they're not married yet, or people who are discerning religious life, or you know, things haven't quite like settled for them, and it tends to bring up so many questions about God, like, are you holding out on me? You know, but really, it goes back for me to Saint Therese, like the vocation is to love, and so no matter what our stage is in life, if we're the very beginning um, of discernment, or whether we're we're far into it, you know, of living out the vocation, our vocation is to love. And what is God calling us? How is he calling us to love and say yes in the deepest way possible? You know, our yeses matter. I was just pondering all this again last night. Like, our yes really does matter. Not not because God needs us. He doesn't need us. But he chooses. He chooses to use us somehow, (laughs) which is really very, very humbling that he wants to not use us in like a harsh sense of the word. He wants to collaborate with us on amazing things. He wants us to be a part, a partner with him in his plan. And um, and so I love what you were saying about it isn't a loss. Like when we give our life to God in whatever capacity mm-hmm. he's calling us to, there isn't a loss there. There's only gain. Like this is kingdom living and this is what we're called to in our very hearts. This is where we're going to come alive. When we live kingdom living, everything is flipped upside down. We lose it all and we gain it all simultaneously. And what we gain is is far more valuable and far more satisfying than anything that we could ever give up. And mm. I mean, I'm just in awe of people who are saying yes in big ways in whatever vocation they're in over and over and over again. I mean, it is a daily yes. Of course, there's going to be some big yeses along the way, but... But the daily yes, especially now in the world that we're living in today, it is so inspiring to me to see people saying yes to Jesus, to saying yes to his lordship, because it means I trust you, God. Like, I really trust you. I'm not just coming alongside you like we're pals uh, when things are good, but I'm actually submitting my life under your lordship because I trust that you're good, that you're a good father, and that you will you will satisfy the deepest desires of my heart, you know. So I, I'm I'm just sitting here with a lot of gratitude for both of you, father and sister, for your for your yeses, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know if you've been hearing that a lot lately in the church, but I'm incredibly grateful. 
And I think for also some people, because when we've brought up this topic before, it has, it triggered a lot in a lot of our listeners. What does restored femininity look like? What does restored masculinity look like? And it is an invitation to go deeper. It is an invitation for you to see the Father's heart for you and how He created you and how you are made. It is not a scary abyss. It is an invitation to beauty. It is an invitation to a deeper love. It is an invitation to communion, to the Father and to the church, to figure, you know, to wrestle with this, to discover. But it is an adventure in romance, and it is an adventure to discover these things, and your vocation will bloom out of that, you know. But also, with every vocation— there's just sacrifice and hard. It is, you know, with every single vocation, it is the call to love and it is um, amazing and beautiful all at the same time. I'm glad you brought that up, Michelle. There, there was, you know, some strong reactions last time we talked about uh, strong masculinity and femininity and, and that's okay. And when we had Father Mike on, spiritual fatherhood, and I just it triggered say, a lot of people also. Yeah, and I yeah. just want to say there is room for that here. There's room yeah. for that at the table. Like, don't be afraid of the questions that come up or even like the hard feelings that come up. Like this, God might be putting his finger in a wound because he wants to heal it. And so I, I just want to encourage you, if this is a hard conversation for you to hear or it's triggering some things, like don't be afraid to bring that to God. Father, I, I know that you love Mother Mary Frances and you use her um, kind of treatise on brideship in a lot of your retreats. And I, I know you have a quote there that you want to share with our listeners. Could you share uh, what you want to talk about there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, it kind of comes back to this, uh, that the, the healthy religious woman is a woman mm-hmm. and that the restoration uh, of all things involves, and even discovering our vocations, involves coming back to what's within us already, who we are as created by God and how he wants to awaken us to an awareness of that and then raise that up to a level of such great dignity. Um, and in religious life, that's the level of consecration. Um, this is this quote um, from Mother Mary Frances. She's speaking about the, the deep desires of woman um, and what it is to be a woman. And she says, a woman needs to feel loved and to feel beautiful. There's something very wrong with a woman who does not want to be beautiful. And she says, we know on the human plane that people do become lovely because they are loved. And then she moves into talking about how this is raised up into a consecration. She says, to be loved by Christ and to be sealed by him in this way is the spiritual fulfillment of the human desire of any normal woman to be lovely, to be beautiful. I think that captures the whole reality that God, when he calls us to a vocation here in this context, consecrated religious life, but into marriage, even into a single life in the world, when he's formally inviting us to a state in life, he's bringing us, our whole selves, with all of our desires into an acceptance of the fact that he has a mission for us, a design in our lives, a place for us. He doesn't leave aside the the essences of the heart and and its very shape. He invites us to to offer everything to him. And as you said, Heather, to, to be loved and to be loved and offer that out to the world. And for women in the context of this conversation, um, it's renewing for women to know who she could be consecrated, but also to see how mm-hmm. the consecrated heart blesses all of femininity by reminding mm-hmm. the world what it looks like to be claimed and spoken for by the King of Kings, who is claimed and spoken for all of us. Mm, that's beautiful. And I think that there's a lot that we all can do. Like for those who are listening, you're like, well, I'm not called to religious life or I'm a guy, you know, like how does this apply? And I think that uh, we need to just widen our scope. Like it's not just about us and our, you know, situation that, that we are a part of a family and this is a big part of our family. And, and we also have the opportunity to help shape people, you know, who, 
to be open to vocations, like those in our families, like if we're parents, like I think a big thing for people to become a father and a mother, truly a spiritual father and mother, they need to know who they are as a daughter and a son. And um, the way that parents shape their children or coaches or teachers or whoever you might be, like we have places of influence in our life um, to help shape people to be open to vocations and to then fully live it. Yeah. And as you just triggered a thought there on that bigger question about vocation and state in life, what you're saying before, especially Heather, like we sometimes make such a big deal out of trying to get this right, you know, or trying to discern Amen. and figure out. And I, I had a buddy who was really stuck in his discernment about the priesthood. He was with a religious community and he just felt called to marriage. He's going back and forth. And his spiritual director just looked at him and he said, look, stop making such a big deal out of all this. It's just your life. <laughs> like, as the spiritual said, he got so mad at him. He's like, you jerk, it's my life, you know? Yeah. But then he, he's like, no, my point is like, there's a bigger picture here. It's about yeah. heaven. It's about holiness. It's about love. And you're making this big deal about these decisions that you may never have to make. Like God has already decided. He knows. And you just have to fall in love with God. And he's going to lead you in the little ways and the big ways to the type of life you're supposed to live. It's just your life. And you're not Amen. really in charge of making it perfect. That's God's work. And if mm. you fall in love with God, he's going to bring that about in ways you probably couldn't plan for anyways. And so just lift off some of that pressure and, and lean into God. And it, it gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. That's the mm. best thing I've heard in a long time. Just fall in mm. love with God. <laughs> Just it fall is. in love with God and he will take you where you need to be. Amen. Oh, that's so funny. This one last story, but when everyone knows that I just love the Visitation Convent in Mobile, and I love the sisters there. And I went there for the first time, um, probably like nine, 10 months ago. And it looks like Southern France, like like all good things Southern, like in the South here, and then France. So it's like my idea of heaven. You know, the architecture, the beauty, everything. I was like, this is just no karaoke, but or college football. But other than that, it is like ideal. But when I went there, I felt like the sense of home and I felt like the sense of holy ground. And it's cloistered. The majority of the sisters there are cloistered except the mother superior. And I asked her, I said, why does this feel so much like home to me? Like, I just feel like my heart is home. And I even called Chris, my husband is like, honey, I feel like I found my place. And he's like, are you sure you weren't called to be a religious sister? I'm like, no, baby. It's like, and then I told him, I couldn't pinch your butt if I was a religious sister. And so anyway, it's a point thing. Point taken. Point taken. But and I was Can like, we get a I sound just think, bite? I, oh yeah, there you go. He's, he'll love that I said that publicly. He'll just love, love that, you know? But he said, Michelle, this isn't, I bought a zoo. You can't buy a convent. That's what he said to me. Like when I was talking to him, it's always telling the mother superior, not the butt part, but the other part. And I was telling her, I said, I just feel so at home. And she said, of course you do, because this is your home, because we love the same man, Mm. you know, meaning Christ. And it was such a profound, simple statement, but it was so true. Like we love the same man, like we love Jesus and he is your home and he is my home. And that the place was been saturated in prayer for over a hundred years. I had a great deal, but it is, it's just an invitation. It's just your life. And it's just an invitation to love. So how is it going to be played out? So what you think about that sister? I think that I'm going to give father John the last say before we go into our one thing for the week. But, um, I just think this brings us back full circle to the quote that we opened up with that there is nothing a woman cannot do when she knows that she's perfectly interested at all times and that she is loved and the person that Mother Mary Frances is referring to, the person who is understanding is Christ himself. So at the heart of all things, my dear sisters, especially to you, that Christ understands you at all times and that he loves you. 
And when you and I rest in that love and that is the center of our life, then everything else unfolds in the way it should. So no matter where you find yourself listening to this podcast or wherever you find yourself in life or whatever vocation God has called you to, that the more you and I open our hearts and souls to Christ and allow him to love us more deeply and to allow ourselves to be known, that's when our life takes on a brilliance and a radiance, and that's when the beauty heals, right? And that's why we ache for it. So, Father, is there anything you want to say uh, to our listeners before we jump into our one thing for the week? No, maybe just to, to carry that quote on from Mother Mary Francis. She says, there's scarcely any power, any energy, any force equal to that of a woman who knows that she is loved and that on the bridegroom's part, there will never be any defection. There will never be any infidelity. There will never be any lack of understanding. To be the center of someone's life, that's woman's deep desire. And that is what religious profession is. And that shows to all of us what it is to to turn to Christ and to, to recognize that his gaze is upon us and that he delights in us, every creature, every human being. Um, we have to just rediscover that each of us in our own interior lives and, and it will awaken in us again um, the fullness of life that he came to bestow. So just a, a great gift to unpack this beautiful topic um, with all of you and uh, yeah, to share in, in God's desire to renew the face of the earth through his church. Thank you, Father John. Thanks for joining us. Thank You're you, such Father a gift. John. You as well. Beautiful, beautiful work here. Well, friends, this is a part of our show where we jump into a one thing, or Michelle jumps into three one things, depending on what she... You know, I just saw your hat. People people can't see your hat. I just saw it right now. It says, drink local coffee, Michelle. Amen, <laughs> girl. <laughs> I haven't had coffee in two weeks, so it's really like, um, you know, a sign of fast right here, like a prophetic vision. But go ahead. Go ahead, sister. Go ahead. Just rub salt in the wound, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, I'm going to offer, I'll offer my one thing for the week. We were talking about my friend Tori. Tori, we love you very much. And so we were talking about you earlier in the episode because you're the one saying that we always talk about the weather, which we do. But I want to talk about your playlist, my friend, because she has a playlist called Fall Feelings, which I absolutely love. So I'm going to offer that as my one thing. I love a good Spotify playlist that has just a bunch of eclectic, different kinds of music from, you know, a lot of different genres. So that is my one thing for the week from my dear friend Tori Bissot, uh, her Spotify playlist, which I will offer on our show notes. So... Heather Kim, what about you, sweet girl? Um, my one thing is this little video that I saw. Um, it's all over Facebook and everywhere right now of this young man whose brother was killed. And and um, he's in the courtroom. If you haven't seen this, I just want to encourage you to, to, to search it up because it's truly inspiring and it'll break your heart heart wide open but he he basically just says to the person who killed his brother that he forgives her and he invites her into a relationship with Jesus because he's the one that will be able to help her live her best life and that he he doesn't wish anything bad for her i mean it's incredibly moving and I, as i watched it yesterday i just was like wow like does that not challenge every area where i resist you know and hold grudges and um it's just such a beautiful witness, this guy. And then at the end, the part that just got me at the end, he says to the judge, can I give her a hug? And there's just silence. And then he says, please. And I was like, he's like begging to hug the person who who killed his brother. And gosh, God bless that guy. It was just incredibly beautiful. So I'll post the link for that so people can see it. Michelle, what you got, girl? My one thing, actually, I think sisters used this as one of her one things before, but 
Anyway, I'm using it again. Um, it is because I'm going through it again. It is a book called Awakening Love, and it's by Father Gregory Cleveland. And it's a nation retreat on the Song of Songs. And I've gone through it before, and I'm going through it again. And it is a, um, yeah, it's a game changer. And really, if the, the question or something was coming up about restored femininity, Song of Songs is your answer, my friend, just to begin that journey. And this retreat, this book, I'll post a link. It is a beautiful, just um diving deeper into those mysteries and what it really means to be a woman and a bride. And it's powerful. So that is my one. What about you, Father John? Do you have a one thing? Uh, yeah. My one thing, I would relate it to our topic here. Um, lately, just been really blessed by um, shared ministry, by shared apostolate. Uh, sister and I just finished a parish mission for two nights at my brother's parish. My brother's a priest. And... Um, uh. It's awesome. Yeah. And as, as priests, we're so often like kind of alone in a lot of our work, even though you have your councils and your teams and your, your staff, you, you just are kind of alone in a lot of the work as the shepherd. And um, to be able to, to come to his aid and partner with him for his people, you know, and knowing his people to, to serve with him in a mission and then to do so alongside Sister Miriam and to have these, you know, the masculine and the feminine voice kind of complementing each other. I think we, we all saw in the mission mm. and experience of yeah, the restoration and the reciprocity, the complementarity of, of the male and the female voice, and that that when we share together in proclaiming God's truth, it, it heals all of us, including those of us who aren't proclaiming. So, just the gift of sharing ministry and uh, and sharing a heart for the rule of the church and and laying down our lives for that has just been a an astonishing blessing these last few days. Oh, oh I love that. <laughs> it's been a, a sheer delight, especially so. Well, thank you, dear listeners. We have uh, enjoyed making this journey with you. And just wherever you find yourself today, know that you are loved, that Christ loved you, and he is seeking you out and drawing near to you. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? Could you also leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? That helps us get the message out to as many people as possible. All the show notes are in your podcast app, but if you'd like them emailed to you, you can go to our website at abidingtogetherpodcast.com and subscribe. On our website, you will also find all of our past episodes and information about various episodes. You can also join our private Facebook group and get in on the discussion and all the beautiful things that are happening there. We are so glad that you are on the journey with us. And until next week, we'll be abiding together. God bless you. Thank you.